Namaste. So, as part of the writings of Sri Aurobindo, today we have collected works of Sri Aurobindo, Volume Sixteen, which is Hymns to the Mystic Fire. Fire is, as we know, one of the primary deities in the Rig Vedas, along with three others: uh, fire, Agni, then there is Indra, and then there is, of course, Som. So it forms a sequence, but fire is the first one because fire has to be invoked before one can start the journey. And later, uh, Indian mythology, there are many interesting stories about fire. So fire is shown by as two mouths. So two mouths is heat and light. So there is within fire knowledge, which is light, as well as the power to execute, which is heat or the energy. So fire represents the divine will in man. So if we put it in modern terms, it would mean to offer something to the fire as oblation means offer our consecrate our actions to the divine will. So what happens when you offer things in the fire? It becomes a yagya. So the word yagya also is a very interesting meaning. So yagya is formed by two words, yaja and ya. So yaja is from the root. It means to worship or to Offer, consecrate, and ya is to whom. So, the one to whom you are giving the offering or worshiping. So, in that sense, yagya in originally is the none else but the Lord Himself. So that's how the fire and the ritual of offering, and then it becomes a yagya because it's going to the divine. So this was the ancient Vedic uh, form. And yagya is the entire. He is the universal divine. So that's why we have this idea of yagya also as not only a sacrifice which purifies things, but also the sense of universality, meaning thereby to believe that everything is or anything is made for me and me alone, and God has to move the whole world around me, is the great falsehood in which we live. That is how Shabindo describes in the Life Divine. That is one of the fundamental errors. And it leads to so much misunderstanding about everything. God is there, but He must do everything, keeping me in the center. It's just reversing the whole thing. Uh, we have to do everything, keeping God in the center. This is the path that the Vedic Rishi has shown. Uh, there, as I said, many interesting stories about uh, Agni. He is born otherwise, supposed to be born from Brahma, and his wife is called as Swaha. So Swaha literally is you offer, and thereby it is finished. So uh, it's uh, if. There are various ways of understanding it, but my simple way of understanding is when you have given something to Agni, it's the all-consumer. If you are still holding it within you, in some way or the other, then it is not swaha. That's why you end it. Uh, there is a meaning. Another meaning of the swaha is that so be it, like amen. So swaha. So I have given it. Now it is a reminder that you have given it. Now you have no right over it. You know, there is a very interesting story of Sri Ramakrishna. Somebody got him a nice pashmina shawl and um, gave it to him, and Sri Ramakrishna took it around. And then he suddenly he could read the minds of people. He took it and threw it on the floor and started dancing over it. And this man, for a moment, was quiet. Then he said, "Sir, uh, you know, it's it's quite uh, you know <laughs> expensive. <laughs> With great care, I have got it." So he scolded him and said in his own characteristic way. See, see, he says he has given, but he is not given. So this swaha is a complete giving at every level. It's not just a physical giving. That's the sense we even find in the Kathopanishad where Nachiketa 
tells his father, you are giving all the cows which are um, devoid of milk, which have grown old. And what is the use of this kind of sacrifice? And then he says, whom will you give me? And he gets very annoyed. You know, those days also children were quite rebels. <laughs> Much more, nine-year-old child. Huh? And uh, father got very angry. Fathers were that time also. So father got very angry and said, I give you to death. He said, okay. He accepted his prashad and the rest is history. Or rather the rest is an Upanishad. <laughs> so Agni, there is another very interesting story I found about Agni, which is, I mean, I remember about Agni, which is very cryptic. And it comes in the Mahabharata. So when uh, Arjuna, and Krish, Arjuna and the Pandavas are given Khanda Prasth, uh, deliberately, that you go there and you that's your kingdom. Now Khanda Prasth is a dense forest which is inhabited by snakes, all the Nagas. So to build a palace or anything there is next to impossible. Meanwhile, as things have it, Agni has been always wanting to devour the forest. So, But Indra is guarding it. Very fascinating story with its deep meaning. So Agni comes and because the moment he starts, Indra reigns. That's how the story goes. So Agni doesn't is not able to consume. So one day he comes when Arjuna and Krishna come to Khandaprasth. Agni says, you know, I need a favor from you. He disguises himself as a Brahmin and says, I want something to eat. So Arjuna says, how much you want to eat? He says, this whole forest I want to eat. Oh, is it? Okay, fine. Eat it. So Agni rushes to eat that entire forest. Indra gets very annoyed. So Indra comes. Now that's an instance where Arjuna and Sri Krishna fight with Indra. And not only Indra, all the gods and they win the battle. So as humans, you know, it's very interesting example that where humans, human and the divine, because Krishna is the divine here, they come together and with the help of Agni, they are able to devour the entire thing and win the battle. It's a very fascinating tale which has meaning at many levels but you know because we are centered around the book so I will not go much into it. But that is the time when Varuna gets very pleased and he gives to Arjuna the famous Gandhi bow and two inexhaustible quivers so he could uh, use that quiver. It just doesn't get empty. And Indra also gets something. He was very, gives something. He was also very pleased that after all my son <laughs> and so on and so forth. And Agni also gives him Great gifts. So Agni asks Varuna to give him Gandhi. So that's where. So you see, it's a whole yoga which is described in this small little story. So the ancient rishis they invoked Agni as the first god. He is the first god to come. Without Agni, without an aspiration, you give anything. It's a mechanical thing. You may offer it, but there is no aspiration. So first thing, mothers, you know, when you read her first conversation, 1929, when she started going out and communicating, talking to people, speaking to the disciples, very small group, they would go in a car and they would stop somewhere near Auroville, <laughs> what is now Auroville, and they would come out. Can you imagine having a almost a kind of picnic with mother? <laughs> and they would sit and she would ask them to ask any, some question. So one of the disciples asked, the first question asked by the mother, would you tell us something about yoga? And she says, why do you want the yoga for? To gain power? To become a yogi? To help humanity? None of these motives means that you are ready even for the yoga. Do you want the divine for the sake of the divine? This is the first question one has to ask. And then she says that there is a fire burning in your depths. That is the inner divinity in you. So, discover that fire, go within, find that fire. It's in the subtle 
physical and then offer all your actions to it let it shine forth it's very first conversations put you right as if vedic yoga is being reenacted and then she she's asked that what do i do to prepare myself for yoga again we see something which is connected to agni do not directly she says be conscious become conscious of all the motives it's the light which shows us how to become conscious of the motives so agni is the first god who is invoked and then we have indra indra is the divine mind agni will lead us to him and then comes surya he is the lord so from there when the divine mind that vastness that suppleness that um, we have become so vast then we are ready for surya and then when we are able to bear surya and is tap then comes soma the delight of existence so the goal of the vedic rishis followed this course first light up agni maximum hymns hymns devoted to agni and this agni is known to be in three places uh, shubindra uses the terms which is very beautiful he says jad agni the agni which is in matter it's this is one of the places and this agni has performed many functions she has built the worlds because it's the divine will actually if you look at it like this and she has all the knowledge of the worlds uh, he has all the knowledge of the worlds so agni which is in matter and then there is the agni in the skies and uh, the vedas described as a vidyut agni and what are these vidyut agni the lightnings but the flashes of intuition that cleave the brain so it manifests in the um, uh, human mind as flashes of lightnings and then its original home is sun so saur agni so these are the three kinds of agnis and even within atom you will see these three at the most material level so there is the jad agni which is nothing else but the you know uh, energy of motion which is there in every uh, atom and then you have the vidyut agni the electrical the uh, because of the protons and electron you have this electrical uh, agni which is there within it and then you have the saur agni which the scientists discovered as the tremendous power which can blow up a whole world so all these of course the vedic rishi are not talking about the material uh, this thing but they use the language which applies at all levels so what is this outer material agni outer material agni is a manifestation of the god who is there so shubhendra gives a very beautiful example of it so he says uh, whose body is it a man's body or a woman's body or a human being's body uh is the human being the body no he is not the body so what is the body body is a manifestation of the human being so similarly he says a very cute example a look or a gesture is manifestation of the thought but thought is not confined to the look or the gesture it's a very sweet <laughs> explanation he gives so thought is greater than a look or the gesture so also the divine in manifestation at every level he takes various forms so at the most physical level he takes the form of the material fire that's why you have the same properties you have the heat and the light the most material level it divorces it can purify same thing so agni has these three offsprings pavaka the purifier so what is the offspring of agni meaning thereby that when there is a complete offering swaha and the swaha and the agni they come together then they bring out an offering which is purify whatever is offered to agni becomes pure with that complete offering it becomes shining so agni has another meaning shining luminous brilliant 
ag moves forward takes us the leader of the march is the child the offspring we desire flame child is born so it is the offspring we desire is the last which is born after the yagna vedi is ready yagna vedi is mind life and body body when they are ready the triple um, levels of the yagya shala then the agni is lit and when the agni is lit then you have to offer it to tend the fire the mother uses that word that you have to tend the fire it is the divinity inside you meaning thereby one has to really uh, you know put the oblations sacrifice and gritam the luminous mind and everything so that the fire can grow so why they were doing this where will it lead us so so fascinating i find that so many thousands of years back our forefathers saw as the goal of human existence the ascension of man towards his own divine possibilities towards ananda means i mean i do feel proud about it that you be belong to a you know a nation which at that point of time they could foresee and that's the goal they placed before mankind that your present formation is a limited possibility and if you invoke the fire it can take you through levels and levels of ascension the jad agni will become the vidyut agni will reach that intuitive mind and this vidyut agni can take us to the saur agni the surya the 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 effulgent truth the sun of truth and when we have his darshan then we have the somras not before that and how uh, it is it is sign of depravity uh, that you know what we have made of all these great truths and of course a sign of resurgence that all these things are coming up again and awakening in the indian psyche so um, we'll just read that uh, now shurbindu in hymns to the mystic fire has nearly 71 rishis uh, hymns he has translated um, overall in rigveda from the rigveda there are about 160 plus rishis who are rishis and rishikas who are involved in writing and you'll see sukta so sukta is a collection of riks riks is a hymn and and a, a sukta is a hymn hymn or of praise so purushukta it describes about the purusha great purusha whose mouth is fire so you see it's so interesting why the mouth is fire it is through that mouth that he takes in everything if you don't have you have haven't lit the agni then this offering has no meaning you may go to tirupati and give the kesh but if there is no aspiration but only demand and desire it's not yoga or yagya okay god will grant it mother was asked that mother why does god grant our desires is so that you can realize after some time that it was meaningless <laughs> you <laughs> divine grants you that desire so that you may realize by experiencing and going through it that how absurd it is so uh, this is how they would invoke the agni and carry on this process of sacrifice so there are about 71 rishis whose there are 10 mandalas in rigveda so 10 mandala each mandala is like a book which is composed of various suktas and you have all these rishis people often say that who wrote the vedas nobody knows no their the rishis are well documented in the vedas just imagine what kind of documentation must have existed and then you see those great uh, rishis the sapt rishis who are like among the top most shining guides of mankind um, they are all they are like demigods they were humans involutionary beings who became uh, forever guides of mankind so they were like statuses like indra so one could identify with them so they were a lineage 
with whom one could identify it. So, Shubindo, uh, if you take volume 14, 15, 16, it's like a trilogy of the Vedas, but the Vedic writings are elsewhere also. As we have said in Bangla writings, there are very beautiful short writings, pieces on the Vedas, very simple. What is Veda? What is Vedanta? What is Upanishads? Gita or Bhumika, one of the best places to read is Bengali writings. Then there are some essays on uh, the Vedas uh, scattered in Essays Divine and Human. And of course, there are numerous references to the Vedas in the Life Divine. Every chapter of Life Divine starts with a quotation from the Vedas. Uh, so several places we will find these references. Uh, often people quote the Gita, that the Gita speaks of uh, against the Vedas. No, Gita speaks of Vedvad, which is the very ritualistic outer understanding of the Vedas. So there is a purely materialistic understanding of the Vedas, which is only that, you know, they were afraid of uh, wind and rain and um, fire and all these things. So they prayed to these gods. There is a ritualistic understanding where you have the rituals through which you are invoking the deity. And of course, there is the esoteric or the... uh, spiritual understanding of the Vedas and Sri gives us the spiritual understanding the Gita doesn't say against the spiritual understanding in fact it ratifies it confirms it it is only the Vedvad where you change it into a discursive intellectual discussion that's where the Gita says that find the truth if you have to put it in modern terms rather than engage yourself in uh, you know that kind of debate or discussions of the Vedvadins but that truth is there enshrined in the Vedas so we have the very first hymn, the first uh, mandala of the Rig Vedas. So we can say that it's it's a well-known hymn, which is written by Madhu Chanda Vaishwamitra, and it is in Gayatri meter. So this hymn to Agni. So Gayatri, as we know, is a meter. So like you have different meters uh, in English poetry, meter is often created by stresses. And so like that, the stress on a syllable. But in Sanskrit, the meter is both by stress as well as the sound and the word formation words. So this is something unique about Sanskrit. And the words can be combined together. So Sanskrit meter is a far more, uh, I would say, intricate and rich than the English meter. So English meter is largely by stress of syllables that you have the English meter. So Gayatri is a meter and here we have this hymn. The first verse runs in the Deva Bhasha. That's how Shivinda puts it. And we all know this is well known. Agni Mile Purohitam Yagnasya Devam Ritvijam Otaram Ratnadhatamam. And in English, he translates it as Agni I adore, who stands before the Lord, the God who seeth truth, the warrior, strong disposer of delight. So obviously, if you try to interpret it in just ritualistic terms and all, it makes no sense. And out of Agni, you see horses and cattle coming out. Obviously, um, even a person most primitive will not write such a verse. And in such a meter, it's so very clearly, but those things we have already spoken of in the previous two uh, books. So the Rig Veda begins with an invocation to Agni. With the adoration of the pure, mighty and brilliant God, Agni, he who excels and is mighty, cries the seer, him I adore. Why Agni before all the other gods? Because it is he that stands before Yajna, the divine master of things. 
Because he is the God whose burning eyes can gaze straight at truth at the Satyam. Without this Agni, we cannot even look at truth. Because then we are under the influence of Panis and Vritras who have covered the truth. So it's practical. People often would say, Ki, what is this practical meaning? Practical meaning is that we cover the truth and give all kinds of mental justifications. Why? Because the Agni is not shining. When the Agni shines, then it shows where the thing is, where is the crookedness. So Agni shows the crookedness and makes it straight. That's how one place it is described. So that is the significance of Agni. Because it is that stands before Yajna. He is the God whose burning eyes can gaze straight at truth. At the Satyam, the Vigyanam, which is the seer's own aim and desire and on which all Veda is based. Just imagine, I mean, I feel a thrill within me that these were my forefathers who wanted truth and the true delight of existence. What an aim. Their aim, aim was not multiplying cars and robots and all this or building skyscraper. They were building a skyscraper but within us. A whole ladder of being through which man's consciousness could descend from its animal human state to a divine state of humanity. Because he is the warrior who wars down and removes all the crooked attractions of ignorance and limitation. So, uh, two reflections on this that, uh, you know, he is the warrior. So, many of these, uh, the European commentators, Max Muller and even before him. So, they uh, basically, largely interpreted the Vedas as a historical perspective. They were describing a war. <laughs> so, the inner war had been understood as war of some Aryans coming and invading and pushing away the Dravidians and so on and so forth. But here he is a warrior who wars down and removes all the crooked attractions of ignorance and limitation. So we have another clue for the yoga. And that's why people often ask, in, in Shurabindu's yoga, nobody speaks about yama and niyama. What are the rules? Mother said, maximum of freedom, minimum of rules. How come? Because she gave something far more difficult. <laughs> Light the fire within. Rest will follow. <laughs> Increase the fire within. Rest will follow. It will make the crooked straight. It is its very nature to do it. But when we try to do it mentally, it mentally trying to do it has its place in society. Moral purification. It's important in, in to keep a social order. But this is a far greater and the true purification. So what does the Agni do? It removes, look at the word, removes all the crooked attractions. Not just the crookedness, crooked attractions of ignorance and limitation that stand persistently in the way of the yogin. Normally we are attracted towards things which are a very Trump, temporary, transient nature through devious ways, cunning, deceit. It just takes away all that attraction. Just imagine what a brilliant God he is. Because as the vehicle of tapas, tap, that's how the word comes, the pure divine superconscious energy which flows from the concealed higher hemisphere of existence, avyaktam, parard, he more than any develops and arranges ananda, the divine delight. This is the significance of the words. How beautiful this is. So, you know, again, tena taktena bunjita. You can either have pleasure, it's not about morally right or wrong. You can be with pleasure or you can keep on offering it as oblation till you discover the divine ananda. 
it has actual practical um, implications uh, i have seen you know um, uh, even article written on this that people who take to alcohol and you know who are uh, absolutely because they are not able to discover this joy within so they enter into these degraded states of pleasure seeking and the more you discover the inner joy automatically these things cease so the path they showed was increase the fire of aspiration anything that happens in life comes in life a difficulty an obstacle the best way is instead of oh my god i have this problem i am useless i am unfit which is to fall into tamas simply increase the fire of aspiration and if it's difficult read savitri did i hear from and the fire increases in divorce that's its nature you can actually it is something so often one can experience inside then one understand yes this is so true who is this yagna and what is this agni yagna the master of the universe is the universal living intelligence so it's universal that's why when you put in the yagna you have to receive things as prasad you can't say wo mera wala you know you know i had put this i want that back this doesn't apply in cosmos you may have put your most material offerings but doesn't mean that those things will increase and come back as many often whatsapp gan whatever you have given will come back multiplied no sir it comes back transmuted if you have really put it right <laughs> so <laughs> you may have put material things it may come out as spiritual intelligence it's not that you have put material and so material will come back so people often okay if i give so many hairs so for each hair so much gold after all he is a very generous deity <laughs> that's not how it operates that's not how the universal intelligence operates it gives to each one what is needed for the progress we may like it we may not like it we may feel unhappy about it or we may receive it with gratitude but that's how the law operates so when we receive with gratitude with surrender as they say living within the divine will it gives us joy and we ascend if we keep complaining and grudging well the universal intelligence doesn't operate according to our wishes and fancies it still will give us what is true that's how shivinder describes in the ascent of the sacrifice he says by sacrifice the divine has made the world and if you don't want to do it nature will extract it from you it is the law of this creation it is what is the living testimony of the oneness of creation the and typically in indian households i am i don't know about other households it is revealed as you feed the son you bring up the child the child grows up mother is very happy my child has grown up then one day the child gets married and then she says i had brought up the child and now he is going away with the daughter in law the new feminine energy you see if you look at it from the scripture it is so interesting well you should have remembered that the child is not for the sake of the child but for the sake of the divine and so on with everything wife husband parents all relations of life so there are a lot of practical implications in this then he says the material sense sees neither god nor gods neither yajna nor agni it sees only the elements and the formations of the elements material appearances and the movements in or of those appearances it does not see agni it sees a fire it does not see god it sees the earth green and the sun flaming in heaven and is aware of the wind that blows and the waters that look at the gesture and the waters that roll so too 
Now Shubhendu gives this most touching analogy. So too, it sees the body or appearance of a man, not the man himself. It sees the look or the gesture, but of the thought behind look or gesture it is not aware. Yet the man exists in the body and thought exists in the look or the gesture. So too, Agni exists in the fire and God exists in the world. They also live outside of as well as in the fire and outside of as well as in the world. So this is how um, Shubhendu starts the grand royal start with this wonderful verse. And then it continues, plenty of them. It's a, it's a, I mean, obviously, because um, it's a very specialized subject. And it, those who are interested, because it's full of wonderful Sanskrit hymns and their translations done by Shurbindo himself. They used to be uh, come out in uh, the Arya, Hymns to the Mystic Fire. But in Arya, it stopped after 1918 or 1919. Then there were a number of translations uh, which he had done earlier, then some which he had done later. This is a collection of all the hymns to the mystic fire which we find here, except a few which uh, are, uh, you know, of the Rishi Atri, because they are there in the secret of the Vedas. Otherwise, almost all the translations here and there, they have collected and brought it out in this particular book. So, Shurabindo had published only during... In 1946, Sri had taken out a small um, compilation of these uh, hymns along with a little introductory note. And it was known as Hymns to the Mystic Fire. Later on now, all these have been collected in 1952, then 71. So, um, what we see today is a collection. Otherwise, in the original SABCL, you don't have a separate volume as Hymns to the Mystic Fire. This has come out later on. And the little introduction that he had given along with this book was uh, Doctrine of the Mystics. So, last time we had spoken about Doctrine of the Mystics, which is there in the secret of the Vedas. The last part of this long uh, essay, he included in this Hymns to the Mystic Fire. So, we will see in both of these books, Doctrine of the Mystics as a title in the secret of the Vedas, it is complete. In Hymns of the Mystic Fire, only the last passage is there. But it is the one of the most uh, simplest. And if somebody wants to understand what the Vedas are and what do they contain, then just reading this particular article, essay is good enough. Just to get an understanding of what was the goal of the Vedic Rishis, what was the path, what is the Vedic cosmognomy, so all that is there. I had myself, you know, when I read Doctrine of the Mystics, it was like, aha, wow, everything is there as if. So, uh, the Doctrine of the Mystics, we'll just read some of the um, basic things. So, what is the, uh, there are some four or five points in this particular essay. The first is, the Doctrine of the Mystics recognizes an unknowable. So, the Supreme is an unknowable. Why he is unknowable? Because the mind cannot know him. The mind has to cease to be mind to know. So it's a paradox. So if the mind touches it, then it gets the sense of a vastness beyond measure of an impersonality, even of infinity. But what is it? It cannot define or describe it. So that's why it is unknowable. One can know it by identification, but not the way mental knowledge knows. So this we see in Savitri. There is a whole canto, book 3, canto 1. 
in per- the pursuit of the unknowable and there we can see that you know mind whatever is made is dropped even the soul seems to appear like a wave which is going to drown into that infinite sea nothing made could live all systems theories philosophies they all collapse that's why yagnaval calls that state as nothingness so shivendra was asked what what, is, what does he mean he says it is full of that super conscious but it is called nothingness because there is no way you can describe it so you can describe it either as neti neti not this not this or as iti iti all this that is so first thing the first principle of mystics vedic mystics was it recognizes an unknowable timeless and unable nameable behind and above all things and not seizable by the studious pursuit of the mind impersonally it is that the one existence so it looks very mind boggling this is too much you know we want to love god so he says personally to the pursuit of a personality it reveals itself out of the secrecy of things as the god or deva so this is the original sense in the vedas you can approach him personally and he'll reveal as an unknowable that's how in the kenupanishad that indra goes and he ultimately meets sumahambati says is the eternal you can't recognize him you can't define him and it is because of his grace that you have won the victory which you have forgotten so all the devas then have to re- realize and recognize that it is by his strength alone that they live nameless though he has many names immeasurable and beyond description though he holds in himself all description of name and knowledge and all measures of form and substance force and activity meaning thereby through anything and everything including a stone and a leaf one can approach the eternal because he is in everything this is the beauty of this uh, thought that though he is not accessible to the mind yet you can discover him in everything because all this that is is he who has assumed it then the second aspect is is all the gods then what about the soul of man the soul of man is given this task of reaching there but what happens why is it given this task because as it reaches him it carries along within the soul of man material nature so that's the whole journey the soul of man soars as the bird the hansa so very often in vision we'll see either a child or a flame or a or flowers are often energies of the soul or a hansa or a duck or birds is again luminous energies of the soul so this this is how one often of course there are some birds which may not represent that but they are very rare but usually one will see as some bird or the other which expresses some soul power like the eagle it's uh, illumined vital so it's powerful but it has also the vision so but swan and duck invariably the soul so the it's actually in vision one sees like that the soul of man soars as the bird the hansa past the shining firmaments of physical and mental consciousness that's why the hansa is described as um, a bird which can drink milk and leave the water i mean i don't know whether it can do that or not as far as i know it is also the lotus honey eater it eats the honey in the lotus so all these are epithets which apply to the soul so how beautifully they could so what is the uh, honey eater it will find that honey drop of honey in everything in life <laughs> so that is the beauty of the soul and it is the uh, 
the bird that climbs past the shining firmaments. Climbs is the traveler and fighter beyond earth of body and heaven of mind by the ascending path of the truth to find this Godhead waiting for us. Leaning down to us from the secrecy of the highest supreme where it is seated in the triple divine principle and the source of the beatitude. So we see this triple principles in the Vedas. There is a whole system of worlds. There is a lower triple world which is mind, life and body. And then there is the higher triple world of Sat, Chit, Ananda. And there is the link principle, the Maharlok, Vigyan, Loka, the supermind. And then we have again this triple principle repeated. So there is the triple uh, worlds, matter, life and mind, vital and mind. And then there is the triple heavens which are created by the rays of the sun. So in Shubhindu's terminology has made it very simple for us. So in illumined mind, intuitive mind and the over mind, with the higher mind buttressing between the two. Then there is the triple higher worlds. There Shubhindu again brings a twice triple principle. Within the super mind there are three Levels of the supermind, and then of course the satlok, the chit, chitgan lok or tapo lok, whichever way we want to put it, and the ananda lok. So that is how the Vedic rishis saw this uh, this creation. <clears throat> the deva is indeed, whether attracting and exalted there or here, helpful to us in the person of the greater gods, always the friend and lover of man. Divine never tests us. The mother has said this repeatedly. My child, I don't need to test you. The mother is testing me. Is a direct suggestion by the hostiles. If the divine will test us, that means he doesn't know who we are. So, <laughs> when uh, people would ask, but mother, why do you, you know everything, why do you want us to tell you? She says, so that you become conscious. I know it. But when you tell me, you become conscious. So if you hide and say, Mother, I am very nice. You see, that person hurt me very bad. She says, okay. She will not say anything. She will just smile. After some time, you will become conscious. Why? Because she has turned her gaze. It is not about that person. Huh? It is about you. Then again, you cover it. Nice, neat explanations. Oh, it's my nature. Then again, so okay. After some time, you will see, basically, at the end, okay, to Make a long story. I am insincere in my will. So then what you'll ask, Mother, grant me sincerity. And the will must increase. How does the will increase? By offering it to the divine will. So that's the path. So this is how uh, all these images are there already in the Vedas. So he is always the friend and lover of man. Even when it seems that he is, uh, you know, even if you, we say that he has pushed us down, it is only to help us. He will, you know, Kabir puts it very beautifully that Guru Kumar Sish Kumbh hai. So, Guru is like the um, potter and the Sish, the disciple is like the pot. So, what does he do? Antar haat sahar de bahar mare chot. Outside he is giving, have you seen how they make the pot? So, inside you have to support, while outside you do tap 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 tap. So, that's how a beautiful Pot vessel is shaped. So always we must remember when blows come outside that inside he is only shaping us, <laughs> supporting us, helping us to go through. So he is always the friend and lover of man. The pastoral master of the herds who gives us the sweet milk and the clarified butter from the udder of the shining cow of the infinitude. Aditi, who is the cow who gives us. She becomes Kamadhenu, the giver of all desire, but she is also the one who gives us the milk of plenty, of wisdom, that milk which gives us strength. And see how that symbol is repeated in life. 
the first thing that the newborn wants is milk from the mother because it's the same plan here it's the symbol of something deeper so that's and then again you see how the milk can be poisoned putna the story of putna she comes as a mother there is a whole passage in savitri in the world of falsehood she prowls around every tent to see where the new child is and to slay in the cradle the divine child she is waiting she prowls around and sees but of course ultimately the divine is the divine within man and nothing can slay but that's how the whole process goes so he is the one who gives us the clarified butter milk is knowledge and clarified butter is illumined knowledge so it's like essence the truth that's how it gives us from the udder of the shining cow the infinitude at one point there is a very interesting image in the vedas and it says a man waters the mantra without this fire of aspiration without knowing its inner sense he may know all the meanings outwardly so he says he is like a man who is going with a cow who doesn't know how to get the milk so he is going with the cow but doesn't know how to get the milk so imagine the situation of the person milking is an art and a science it's not easy to so this is how it the vedas describe there are beautiful images in it he is the source and outpourer of the ambrosial wine of divine delight but when there is aspiration then we know or the simplest way to get milk of the cow is to become a calf baby of the divine child of the divine mother then you see what happens uh, calf doesn't have to learn how to get milk from the cow all that it does is puts its mouth or even before that just looking at a calf the mother begins to give milk shubhendra describes this in the synthesis of yoga that the child soul goes to the divine mother in all its distress and difficulties and the divine mother wants it to be so so that she can pour her heart of love and indulge this is the motherhood she wants she likes it so once in the ashram context see how these things are interconnected so some people ah theek hai they went for dada records it went for picnic or something they didn't feel like telling the mother mother wrote a diary note it seems that my children are grown up and emancipated they do not need me anymore and dada she must have it was a bit deliberately so dada saw this note she must have left it this was you know her way of and he says after that i realized that i'll never again do it i think it was photography which he had gone to take so i realized that you know so still we must connect this is the beauty of creation that we can connect with the divine and it adds to the joy of the journey so this is how we are lifted from hill of being and uplifted by its raptures we become immortal such are some of the images of this ancient mystic adoration and of course the triple world and um, all these described the principal world so we have pure existence satlok chitlok anand lok we already spoke about it and um, you know this in the vedic worlds the system is far more complex in puranas it is oversimplified which is okay that's you know so you have om bhur bhuva swa so all these are the different worlds and then it's going towards the um, the sun the auspicious light so these worlds the beauty of these worlds is that they are outside objectively and inside subjectively 
So we can access them either outwardly, but that means the development of the inner psychic vision because our mortal vision is tuned only to the mortal world or the, rather the material world. By developing the vital vision and how to develop it simply by conserving those energies. Now, ordinarily, uh, creation is flowing like this outward through the gates of senses. This is how the yogis describe it. Through the nine doors, everything is flowing outward. So when you conserve it, pratyahar, as the tortoise draws it inside, concentrating on the divine, then this energy begins to get transmuted. So people who start practicing yoga, first they develop vision in the vital and that's very dangerous because they start seeing all kinds of images, gods and goddesses uh, on the house sometimes and they think that, you know, they are actually seeing the real thing because the vital vision awakes. I have met people who would tell, oh, I see Krishna, I see this, that and hundred things. You have to tell them, if God is coming on the house plenty, be careful. <laughs> and Savitri, we have these descriptions. Then you conserve it still further. Then it becomes like an illumination in the mind. So revelatory movements come. So one sees, but it's a different kind of seeing. And then if you conserve it still further, then there is that highest seeing. So this is how, but subjectively one, can, one experiences them. So in the vital worlds, you'll have one kind of experience. The mental world, as one rises higher and higher. So often it is said, where are hell and heaven? They are within us. Yes, but they are also outside us. As objective worlds of darkness and sunrise splendors. But within, they manifest as states of depression. Meaning thereby, one has fallen into a little ditch, hole. What is that hole? The hole of the ego, misery. Oh, I am this, I am this. I, 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 I. So the antidote... <laughs> Antidote is you, you, thou, thou, thou. Then there is the heaven of bliss and beatitude. Because when we remember the remember the divine, we expand, we become vast, we grow into that vastness. So we are both objectively and subjectively. So they are both outside and within us. Then there is this human essential is ascension is possible because every being really holds in himself. All that is outward vision perceives as if external to him. This is what we are just speaking of. We have subjective faculties hidden in us which correspond to all the tires and stratas of the objective cosmic system. And these form for us so many planes of our possible existence. So very often we have not developed these faculties. And yet they have to be given due cognizance. For instance, when we come to Samadhi, and people often say, ah, it feels very nice. But is it something real? Now, if we start doubting these very things, so what is that feeling? Shabindu would tell us it's a psychic feeling. We don't understand, so we just put them all together very nice. Everything is very nice. Shabindu's room is very nice. So, But sometimes these feelings can take the form of concrete peace. What feels the peace? What feels that, you know, presence of joy, felicity within? So there are corresponding subjective faculties which feel it. And there are corresponding objective. And each ascent is thus a new birth of the soul and the Veda calls the world's births as well as seats and dwelling places. So new birth is first that we are born to the soul, then we are successive new births. Each time we ascend, there is a new birth. It's like you have come to a new ground of being. And then, of course, there are lots of division and thus use. Let's not talk about them, but we have already spoken about them. Uh, then, 
to widen is to acquire new births. So one simple way is whatever is making us narrow into a hole, it is falling back into the past. Whatever is widening us is taking us towards new birth. So this is one of the simplest ways to understand it. The aspiring material creature becomes the straining vital man. He in turn transmutes himself into the subtle mental and psychical being. The subtle thinker grows into the wide, multiple and cosmic man. Open on all sides of him to all the multitudinous influings of the truth. The cosmic soul rising in attainment strives as the spiritual man for a higher peace, joy and harmony. And look at what he says. These are the five Aryan types. So they were the types of Aryan. One who were engaged only in the material world but they are also here to be good. And then you had this other who is the vital man. So from Shudra Bhav he rises to the Vaishya Bhav. And then he becomes the warrior who is entering into the mental domains the Kshatriya, the Brahmin and the fifth one is the spiritual man who has gone beyond all the four types. But there is also the absolute Aryan who would conquer and pass beyond these states to the transcendental harmony of them all. He is the Arhat. So, then comes this part which is there in the, uh, you know, hymns to the mystic fire. Our sacrifice, what is sacrifice? Our sacrifice is the offering of all our gains and works to the powers of the higher existence. Meaning thereby, Mother, I have this limited intelligence. Let it be at your service. Mother, I have been given this faculty of speech. Let it be at your service. Mother, all the senses, eyes and hearing and all the rest, let it be at your service. Mother, I have some feelings. I can feel. (laughs) Let it be at your service. Mother, I have some vital energy. Let it be at your service. Mother, this body is there. Hands and feet. With everything may I serve you. Mother, I have breath and heartbeat also. (laughs) So this is how by offering it grows. Because it has come from there. Our sacrifice is the offering of all our gains. And then what we receive. So after some time when experiences come in. Oh, I am a yogi. (laughs) No, you become a still humbler child. It's like they, it's described that what is a yogin? The more the fruits come, the more humble he becomes. The burden of the fruits makes him more and more humble because you realize they are all coming from the divine. So they are again offered. The whole world is a dumb and helpless sacrifice in which the soul is bound as a victim, self-offered to unseen God. There's the story of, um, what is that play? Perseus the Deliverer. And in Vedic mythology, it is the shun shape story. Where he is tied as a sacrificial man. Which people, oh see they used to sacrifice human beings. Obviously they don't know what is sacrifice. So he is tied as a sacrificial human being. And in the Perseus, the Greek mythology, it is Andromeda. Who is to be sacrificed to the Poseidon, the dark god. So who is the dark god, Poseidon, storm and all, to the vital life of man. So Perseus comes and he releases her. So he releases her by the power of Ethne. Ethne is who? She is our Maheshwari and Mahakali combined. So basically when we are bound like a sacrificial lamb, if I may say so, at the altar of the lower vital things, it is this higher intelligence and this higher power that can release us from that and make us free. In Sunashep's story, it is Varuna. And he cuts the, it's a Vedic story, where he cuts the uh, triple knot with which human beings are tied. Soon a shape is tied. 
so the lower knot he opens and puts down the middle knot he opens and throws to the two sides what a description upper knot he breaks and throws up so <laughs> look at it upper knot the knot of the mind opens upward to infinity the middle knot into the vastness of the cosmic consciousness the lower knot the subconscious grip upon the human body habits all that is thrown down so even in the gesture it is described and who is varuna varuna is the god of vastness remember he gave gandhi to arjun he is a interesting god who is in many ways unparalleled the whole world is a dumb and helpless sacrifice if you don't do it consciously it will be done anyways the liberating word must be found so what is the liberating word is the mantra mantra is not just any word it's the word that rises on a crest of emotion from the depths of the soul it is not just a lip chanting but a heart chanting or it is a word which is born in the higher firmaments of being higher consciousness so vedas recognize four kinds of speech of which three are hidden and only the fourth one is expressed as the human speech this speech must tune itself to the highest word and then it becomes mantra and illuminating him must be framed in the heart and mind of man and his life must be turned into a conscious and voluntary offering <laughs> in which the soul is no longer the victim but the master of the sacrifice so first we are volunteers <laughs> <laughs> voluntary then we are conscious so now you become <laughs> so conscious and voluntary offering this is how our life must be by right sacrifice and by the all creative and all expressive word this sacrifice cannot be to this or that head or this or that uh, feet but only to the deva the divine mother then it carries a meaning if it is done to the ego to ambition then it's a falsified thing so such a person can achieve all things he shall conquer his perfection nature shall come to him as a willing and longing bride he shall become her seer and rule her as a king this another example should be the gifts that a person is uh, it's a very i mean maybe a sensuous example he says is like a person who doesn't do the sacrifice properly who has read but doesn't understand he says he is like a person who is carrying a beautiful bride but she is all decked up and clothed that's how he describes so uh, he can never really meet her but she is a beautiful bride so this is how the human life is when it doesn't have so world appears like that but the deepest mysteries of the world its greatest secrets are hidden inside this garb which attracts us but nature will not give them to us until we have become ready for that so how do we arrive at that state by the hymn of prayer and god attraction by the hymn of praise and god affirmation by the hymn of god attainment and self expression man can house in himself the gods and all these hymns we find in savitri at the head she stands adoration this chapter is called adoration canto by the hymn of prayer and adoration and in the same there is the prayer oh wisdom splendor you know the whole thing is about that god attainment is there self expression man can house in himself the gods build in this gated house nine gates 
Ten actually, but tenth is closed. In this gated house of his being, the living image of their deity, grow into divine births, from form within himself vast and luminous worlds for his soul to inhabit. Right now our soul is inhabiting into the material world and completely caught and tied up. But we can form within us new bodies, new births, beautiful states of being. So this is how he goes and finally... The image of this sacrifice is sometimes that of a journey or voyage for it travels, it ascends, it has a goal. So if you want to see this whole sacrifice, the image of the traveler in Shubindu describes the world sailor on the flow of time. And this is no easy or peaceful march. Enter to the ashram, enter to the yoga. Remember, it is no easy or peaceful march. <laughs> it is for long seasons a fierce and relentless battle. And the closer you get to the goal, the attacks also become so subtle. Because these forces don't leave. So you have to learn to endure with faith. Eventually, they all recede. But they assume new and new faces and forms. Constantly, the Aryan man has to labor and to fight and conquer. He must be a tireless toiler and traveler and a stern warrior. Tireless traveler and toiler. He can't say, oh, bahut ho gaya. retirement ka time gaya. Then Inner, there is no retirement age for the inside of man, the soul. He must force open and storm and sack city after city, win kingdom after kingdom, which people thought of as Aryans sacking the cities and started seeing things. So he must be a conqueror, overthrow. That's why the mother says one must have the spirit of adventure, the Shatratej. Without this Kshatriya impulse, it's very difficult to do yoga. It's all mentalized. But that Kshatra Tej is so important. Overthrow and tread down ruthlessly enemy after enemy. His whole progress is a warring of gods and titans. Gods and giants. Indra and the Python. Vritra. Aryan and Dasyu. Aryan adversaries even he has to face in the open field. For old friends and helpers turn into enemies. The kings of Aryan states he would conquer and overpass, join themselves to the Dasyus and are leagued against him in supreme battle to prevent his free and utter passing on. Even the gods, they don't give way when you want to pass beyond them. And of course in outer life, friends, they suddenly because you know it's needed, you have to pass beyond. And the Dasyu is the natural enemy. The Vedic deities are names, powers, personalities of the universal Godhead and they represent each some essential puja of the divine being. They are children of light, of Aditi, Adityas and they are they represent one aspect or the other of the divine through whom based on our own predilection and temperament we can approach the one. It's not that these uh, people think that it's only about uh, the gods. The gods are aspects of the Deva, the one Godhead. The universal and the transcendent. So what is man to do? God calls man to a divine companionship and aliens. They attract and uplift him to the luminous fraternity. Invite his aid and offer theirs against the sons of darkness and division. So we become friends with the gods. Why? Because we are helping in their labor upon this world to create a divine life. 
man in return calls the god to his sacrifice offers to them his swiftnesses and his strengths his clarities and his sweetnesses milk and butter of the shining cow distilled juices of the plant of joy the horse of the sacrifice the cake and the wine the grain for the god minds radiant coursers how beautiful this is all this vedic imagery is easy to understand when once we have the key but it must not be mistaken for mere imagery the gods are real beings they are not just uh, vague abstractions not a poetic way of saying as symbols they are realities with whom we can come in contact to what gods agni first for without him the sacred flame sacrificial flame cannot burn indra the puja next surya the sun is the master of that supreme truth so he comes finally and of that beatitude soma is the representative deity and finally there are female energies for the deva is both male and female and the gods also are either activizing souls or passively executive and methodizing energy so there is aditi mahi bharati ilavya spoken about this aspect so i'll just come to the end there is something very beautiful here that ascension has already been affected by the ancients the human forefathers and the spirits of these great ancestors still assist their offspring for the new dawns repeat the old and lean forward in light to join the dawns of the future that is the meaning in indian thought of gotra so gotras come from these great rishis the seven or 14 if you like so each gotra is like he is the head he is still with us and helping us in the ascension why because he is a demigod or a you know he has identified with the godhead he has become immortal he has realized his immortality so he is the one who is supposed to help now that whole knowledge is lost and shurbindu recovers it for us and finally this is what we must remember the soul of man is a world full of beings very inspiring passage i think should be written inside and carried as our identity card whenever we feel down just to read this of course shubhendra has given so much to read which uplifts us instantly but to me this was one of the most inspiring passages when i had read shubhendra earlier the soul of man is a world full of beings a kingdom in which armies clash to help or hinder a supreme conquest a house where the gods are our guests and which the demons strive to possess the fullness of its energies and wideness of its being make a seat of sacrifice spread arranged and purified for a celestial session such are some of the principal images of the veda and a very brief and insufficient outline of the teaching of the forefathers so understood the rigveda ceases to be an obscure confused and barbarous hymnal it becomes the high aspiring song of humanity its chants are episodes of the lyrical epic of the soul in its immortal ascension thank you